And, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the sounds, signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was, uh, there was much joy in that city. Uh, thank you for that reading of scripture, and uh, maybe you know, maybe you don't know, uh, but Brian Chang is uh, part of another church, but the reason why he's here, and I imagine the reason why uh, others are here as well, is because we are going to uh, have a little time where we can pray for the Sadiq family, and after worship, downstairs in the fellowship hall, he's going to come and he's going to share, because uh, he and his family are going to move uh, to Indiana. And so we want to uh, cover them with prayer and our support and our love. Uh, for everybody else, uh, you know, I haven't I haven't been here the last two weeks. My family and I were away on vacation, and uh, it was a uh, it was a good time. And we were down in North Carolina. Some people say I got a little bit darker, and uh, if so, you know, great. <laughs> but. Uh, I think what I would say is, you know, we had the opportunity to visit a, you know, a, a church that was not good news and uh, kind of experience what it's like to be a visitor. And just remembering once again uh, how intimidating it can be. So if there's any visitors here, if this is your first time here, uh, I do encourage you to kind of, um, you know, stick around and uh, get to know us. Even though uh, my wife and I, we didn't stick around that church because we were just visiting that Sunday. But uh, if you are looking for a church community or a spiritual community, please uh, uh, stick around for, for worship and it would be great to get to know you. Now this summer, what I've been trying to do is get back into some of the basic practices of the Christian life. And some of you, if you've grown up in the church, maybe you'll say these are very basic fundamental topics, but I think it's always good to revisit them. And if you're not a Christian or if you're a new Christian, it's always good to hear or to understand why Christians have these certain practices. And basically the premise that I've been working with is this. One of the ways in which our hearts change is not merely through more education or more knowledge, which I think is very oftentimes a, a Western approach, but oftentimes our hearts can change when we form habits. The spiritual habits we form, I think, will have an impact on the very thing that our hearts engage in and the very thing that our hearts desire. And so if you're a Christian, I would say... You could go to a Bible study, you could go to a small group, and you could know all the answers to whatever questions are being asked, but that doesn't automatically make you a godly person. That doesn't automatically make you a person who knows Christ deeply, who has a relationship with him. That doesn't automatically mean you're growing in the Lord. 
And what I want to suggest to you is that if we want to be a people who grow in godliness, one of the things we have to do is we have to work at it. We have to strive at it by forming good spiritual habits. Now, there is something that has traditionally been called spiritual disciplines, which are basically the formation of spiritual habits. And it's Christian practices that uh, we try to engage in and try to do over and over to uh, shape our hearts and to grow in godliness. And I don't know this for sure, but it, it, at least it sure feels like it to me that over, uh, I don't know, in, in American churches, there's kind of been this de-emphasis on the need to work uh, and strive for godliness, the need to constantly engage in these spiritual habits. And I wonder if part of the reason is because we have maybe this slight misunderstanding of the gospel because although it is free grace and although it is something that we receive and something that is given to us and something that we don't merit, uh, there is still an aspect to the Christian life that if we want to grow in the gospel that we have to work at it and we have to strive for it. And perhaps a good analogy would be that of cultivating a garden. And in order to cultivate a garden, of course, we are not the ones who are responsible for the growth of the garden, but there are certain things that we have to do in order to nurture it and in order for this garden to grow. And so that's what we, or that's what I've been trying to do in uh, this summer and tackle different topics. And I thought today uh, the appropriate thing to, t- be, to talk about would be the spiritual habit of evangelism. Okay, the spiritual habit of evangelism. Now, I think most people, for most people, evangelism is probably not going to be something that we are completely comfortable with and completely comfortable doing. And if you don't know what the word evangelism means, uh, it basically means preaching the gospel, right? sharing the gospel, uh, seeking someone to give their life over to Christ in repentance and convert and become a Christian. And so maybe for some people, this notion of evangelism or this notion of trying to convert someone to your own faith seems like a very arrogant proposition. It seems like a very narrow-minded thing to do, and it just shouldn't be done. And maybe uh, if you're a Christian, maybe you feel like that too, and you just say, you know, to share my God, to share my faith with somebody uh, in the hopes that they convert to that faith uh, seems a little bit inappropriate or seems a little bit rude. And the story I always tell and the story I always think of when uh, I hear uh, sentiments like that is when I was in college and I was talking to a professor, an art history professor, and I had mentioned to this professor that I was going on a mission trip that summer and I was going to Thailand. And uh, she was like, so what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I'm going to share the gospel. And she said to me, well, what makes you think uh, you should preach your religion in a place like Thailand? Uh, Who are you to think that your faith perspective is the right one? Uh, In my opinion, I think what Christians need to stop doing is trying to convert other people. And as a college student at the time, I didn't really know how to respond. But as I look back on that conversation and on that experience, I think I would say this. I think she was unknowingly doing the very thing that she was admonishing me from doing. Uh, I think she was actually evangelizing to me. (laughs) I think she was trying to convert me because her faith perspective was one that was postmodern, one that was relativistic, one that was also very individualistic and kind of says every person and every individual uh, has a right to choose their own path and what they believe. And that was her faith perspective. And by telling me that uh, I shouldn't go to Thailand and I shouldn't preach the gospel, I think she was evangelizing her own faith perspective to me. And so basically my point is this. I think everybody 
regardless of what you believe, is always going to be doing this. And so if you are a Christian, uh, it's not something that you should feel that is necessarily inappropriate because everybody's doing it anyway according to their own faith perspective. Now here's where I think the majority of us probably fall uh, if we're not comfortable with evangelism. Uh, I think some of us maybe were afraid to make our faith public because maybe we think people will think that we're a little strange or a little bit weird, but most likely here's what I think. Uh, I think we just don't want people to know that we're a Christian because we know how we act and behave at work, and we don't want to represent Jesus in a negative way. And so maybe the easiest thing to do is to tell, not reveal that we're a Christian so we can kind of act freely the way we want to act and behave. Maybe other people think that, you know, the work of evangelism, that should really be left to those with training. Uh, that should be really left to those who are specialists, those who are particularly good at it. And uh, I myself, I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know enough about uh, the gospel in order to, to share it with somebody. Uh, other of us, perhaps, maybe we're stuck in a little Christian bubble, and so everybody we know is a Christian, and we don't have anybody to actually share the gospel with. And even uh, more so, maybe some of us just lack the faith to believe in the power of the gospel to change people's lives. And maybe we say, what is the point of sharing the gospel? Because nobody is going to accept it anyway. And so why waste my time? Why put myself in that situation? Now, there could be a variety of other reasons why maybe we don't like to evangelize and why we don't engage in this particular habit. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to ask I want you to ask yourself this one simple question and maybe it's a good diagnostic question. Uh, when was the last time you've actually talked about the gospel with someone who is not a Christian? Okay? And if it has been a long time, just simply ask yourself, well, why do you think that is? And do a little bit of probing into your own heart. Now, we've said that cultivating good spiritual habits requires discipline. And usually what we need when we need discipline, it's when there is something that we know we ought to do, but we don't particularly want to do it. It's something that's not natural to us, and it's not something that is comfortable for us. And I would say the same goes for something like evangelism. And maybe if we don't want to do it, maybe if we're uncomfortable doing it, maybe if it's not natural for us to do it, maybe we just need a little bit of discipline uh, in order to do it. Now, let me be clear here, because uh, I'm not saying this, right? I'm not saying or advocating this awkward presentation of the gospel where you try to force it and insert it into every conversation you have. And so if somebody is talking about swimming in the Olympics, you don't have to say this. You don't have to say, you know, by the way, you know, swimming reminds me of drowning. And you know what drowning reminds me of? It reminds me of our spiritual condition without Christ. So let me share some good news with you. All right? Maybe that could work. Maybe God could use that. But that's not exactly what I mean when I say make evangelism a spiritual habit. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be awkward and it doesn't necessarily have to be forced. I'm in favor of organic conversations about faith when it comes up. But at the same time, this is what I think. Maybe these opportunities to talk about the gospel come up more often than we think. But because it's just not a part of our lives, it's not a part of our mindset, maybe we are not seeing these opportunities and the doors that God is opening up for us to talk about the gospel. Not only that, 
I do think the reality of it is that a lot of people may not be thinking about matters of faith. A lot of people may not be thinking about Christianity. A lot of people may not really be thinking about God at all. And so sometimes we actually may have to be the ones that bring it up because of that. Now, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this approach, but God used it. And uh, I was listening to the testimony of a pastor, and he's a pastor of this huge church down in Dallas, Texas. And uh, he says the way he came to faith in Christ was he was on a, a high school football team. And one of his teammates was a Christian, and he came up to him and he said, Look, I just want you to know I'm a Christian, and because I'm a Christian, I just have to share the gospel with you. Uh, when do you want to hear it? Right? He <laughs> basically gave him no choice. Uh, that's not going to work for everybody, but God used it, right? And this opportunity turned into a, an important conversation in this pastor's life, and the Holy Spirit worked in his heart, and he gave his life to Christ and became a Christian. Now, if we're not used to talking about the gospel, then it is going to feel very uncomfortable and very unnatural to us. But if you have ever gone on a mission trip, and I know some people here just got back from the Ivory Coast, and if you go on one of these trips and you're basically sharing the gospel every day, eventually what happens is over time, during the course of that week, uh, you get more comfortable with it. And so there is an aspect to it where maybe we just have to do it more, and maybe we just have to practice it more. Maybe we just have to overcome our anxieties and our fear more in order to get to the point where it actually becomes a part of us and a part of our natural, organic conversations. Now, if evangelism is not something that is comfortable to us and something that we're not particularly good at, I actually think this passage can help us. I think this passage here has a lot of good things to teach us and to tell us. You don't actually see the word evangelize in the English translation, but it's there. It's there in the Greek. Uh, in verse 4, it says that those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And that phrase, preaching the word, in the Greek is actually evangelize. After people were scattered to other cities due to intense persecution, they went and they evangelized in the cities that they were scattered in. And we're only going to look at a very small portion of Acts chapter 8, but if we were to continue reading this narrative, we would see some amazing things and some very unlikely people who were converted as the gospel was preached. You have this magician that was converted in the next passage. After that, you have this Ethiopian eunuch that was converted. And perhaps the most improbable conversion of all would be Saul a great persecutor of the church, the very one who approved Stephen's execution. He became a Christian. Now this passage, I think, also marks an important moment in the history of the church because this is the very moment where the gospel goes beyond Jerusalem, goes beyond the Jewish people, and now makes its way to Gentiles. And the way this happens is so amazing and so counterintuitive. It didn't happen because the apostles, they got around a table and they said, let's strategize how we can follow what Jesus said in the Great Commission and make disciples of all nations. It didn't happen because someone thought up, hey, you know, this is going to work and this is going to be the best way that we can preach Christ and the gospel to the nations. The way it happened was 
Stephen was martyred and he was killed and Christians were persecuted. And what happened was it forced Christians to be scattered into other cities. And as they were scattered into other cities, they preached the gospel and the Holy Spirit was at work and moving and people were convinced of the gospel message. That's how God did it. Now, on a side note, it does seem like God has a pattern of doing it that way. You know, one of the reasons why the gospel spread in China was because the Chinese government at one point kicked out all the Western missionaries many, many years ago. And after that, God did amazing things and the gospel exploded in a place like China. You know, presently, do you know what the fastest growing uh, church is? It's the Iranian church, the church in Iran. About 30 years ago, Western missionaries were kicked out of Iran, and evangelism was outlawed. Christians there were interrogated. They were arrested. Some of them were executed over the years. And yet last year, Iran was identified as having the fastest growing church in the world. And, you know, I, I have read some of the testimonies of the Iranians who became Christians, and uh, they used to be Muslims, and they're pretty amazing. Some Iranians, they simply came to faith because somebody gave them a New Testament, and they read it, and they decided to give their life, life to Jesus. Some Iranians, they actually had a vision or a dream, and they felt like God spoke to them, and that's how they became a Christian. And I think one of the reasons why missionaries have such great faith is, you know, I might be wrong in this, but I think maybe one of the reasons missionaries have great faith is because they, over the years, have been able to witness the power of God and what God is able to do in people's lives. And because of that, God is such a reality to them. And they participated in that. They were used by God in that, but at the end of the day, you hear testimonies like this and they say, it couldn't have been me, and it had to be God doing this. And I wonder if maybe that's something that we need, maybe Western Christians, maybe particular New York Christians, maybe that's something that we need. You know, I hear a lot of people uh, in church, you know, over the years kind of say this, you know, I'm very spiritually dry. And usually the solution is this, well, because I'm very spiritually dry, I am going to try to pray more, and I'm going to try to read the Bible more, and that is amazing, great things that we ought to be doing to help us. But I wonder if anybody's ever thought about this. I feel spiritually dry, therefore, maybe I need to evangelize more. <sighs> maybe I just need to share my faith more. And maybe in doing that, God is going to demonstrate again his reality and remind me again of his goodness and of his power and of his faithfulness. And maybe that is what's going to rejuvenate my faith. See, some of us, I think when we've learned about how to share our faith, I'm, I'm guessing that we were probably taught a method, and that's how I grew up. That's how I learned evangelism. And again, that's not necessarily a bad thing, and I think sometimes it's actually a very helpful thing. But I think what's interested, interesting in this passage is... We're not prescribed a particular method of how to do it, and the focus is not really on how this person named Philip preached the gospel. It just says he preached the gospel. But I think the point here is this, that the Holy Spirit was powerfully at work. 
the Holy Spirit was doing amazing things, uh, particularly after Pentecost, and people were being convicted of their sin, and people were repenting and putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Because methods will vary over the history of the church, but God is always reaching people with his love, with his power, and through his message of a crucified Christ. And I think that is what should be ultimately encouraging to all of us because it means that it's not up to us to change people's hearts, but we simply participate and witness and take part in what God is ultimately doing. Not only that, I also want you to see something else. You know, the gospel didn't initially spread here through, quote-unquote, like the professionals. Where are the apostles at this time? It says here, the apostles, they stayed back in Jerusalem during the persecution, while all these other Christians were the ones who were scattered. And I try to think about what it would have been like to be uh, the church in Jerusalem at the time, and what it would have felt like to be one of these apostles. And I wonder if they felt very discouraged because they're thinking this, you know, Jesus has given us this task to make disciples of all nations, and oh no, now we're being persecuted, and now people who are important to the church are being scattered to other cities. You think about New York City. New York is a very transient city, and we've experienced this where people are leaving all the time, and it can be very discouraging. And maybe we're thinking, you know, we're trying to be faithful in our mission to New York, but people just keep leaving all the time. People who have served so much are leaving all the time. And, you know, I myself used to find that discouraging as well, but this passage actually helped me change my perspective. Because maybe people aren't leaving, but maybe God is sending them to another place, to another city, to another church, to another ministry to do the work that he is calling them to do. You know, if you look at verse 5, think about this. Who is the one who is proclaiming Christ? It's someone by the name of Philip. And who is Philip? This is not the same Philip who was one of the 12 disciples. This is a different Philip. This is a Philip who was chosen to serve bread to widows in Acts chapter 6. He's actually one of the first uh, I guess proto-deacons before maybe there was an office of deacon, but he was one of the first seven servants of the church. And soon after he is chosen to serve the people, the widows in the church of Jerusalem, what happens? He's forced to leave, and he goes to Samaria. By the way, do you know who another person was chosen? It was Stephen. And what happens to Stephen? He gets killed. Two out of the, the seven people that you choose to serve the church in Jerusalem, gone, right? Now, if you were someone in the church of Jerusalem, you could easily say, oh, no, right? Oh, no, what about us? What about us? But then you miss the greater picture that perhaps God has. And perhaps you miss the greater plan that God has and what God is doing. Because soon after Philip is scattered to Samaria, what does he do there? He proclaims the Christ to them. He wasn't one of the apostles. He was just one of the lay people who was appointed to serve bread to widows. And yet it was through his evangelism that great joy was brought to the city. A few years ago, I read a very memorable book to me by Michael Green about evangelism in the early church. And he makes this point that one of the reasons Christianity exploded in the early days was because it was just the average right, Christian, the layperson, not the clergy, who was 
uh, spreading the gospel. He says this, they, referring to lay Christians, went everywhere spreading the good news, which had brought joy, release, and new life to themselves. This must often have been not formal preaching, but the informal chattering to friends and chance acquaintances in homes and wine shops, on walks, and around the market stalls. They went everywhere gossiping the gospel, and they did it naturally and enthusiastically. And so you see, do you see why it's probably mistaken to think that the work of evangelism is ultimately best left to the professionals or to those who are well-trained? Uh, that's not how movements of the gospel seem to take place. That's not how great revivals seem to take place. Great movements of the gospel seem to take place when everybody, when the average lay Christian is so filled with joy because of the gospel that they just go gossiping it to other people. I think that's what took place in China. I think that's what's taking place in Iran. I do hope that it does take place even here in New York City. Final thing I want to point out from this passage is this, that I think it shows us a certain kind of openness that we have to have, but sometimes we don't have. Now, you don't see it directly here, but uh, Philip is a Jewish person, and he's going into the city of Samaria, and he's preaching to Samaritans. And Jewish people and Samaritans were people groups that did not get along. Jewish people viewed Samaritans as these sort of half-breeds. But Philip, he goes, and instead of saying, oh, you're a Samaritan, I don't want to talk to you, he goes there and he preaches the gospel in Samaria anyway. Because when Jesus died, when Jesus was raised, and when Jesus ascended, it ushered in this great new period where the promises of God would no longer be confined to the people of Israel, but the promises of God were for all people. The promises of God were for the rich and for the poor, for the Jew and for the Gentile, for the blue-collar worker, for the white-collar worker, to the educated, to the uneducated, to black, white, Asian, Latino. The gospel is for all people. And in order, I think, to be faithful in evangelism, there has to be a greater sense of openness in our hearts to cross over, which means to leave our comfort zone, to leave what we know and what we um, are comfortable with, and to go to others, to be open to them, to love, and to share a deep faith that we have. <clears throat> you know, when I was in college, and uh, you know, we're going to have uh, Bill Young here, and uh, some of you know him from YWAM, and uh, he's going to pray for Jamil later, but when I was in college, I was a youth group teacher, and uh, one of the things we did is we went with YOM. They had this like inner city mission in New York City, actually. And I think Mark was actually there, right? Were you there? Yeah. Mark was actually there when he was like a youth student, and I was like uh, a youth teacher. And, uh, you know, I think that experience with YWAM really uh, did one thing for me, and it really, uh, it really instilled in me uh, a sense of the importance of evangelism. And especially when it comes to being open. 
So we spend a week in New York, and one of the things we do, we go to different neighborhoods in New York. We would go to places in Brooklyn. We would go to Russian Jewish neighborhoods. We would go to Wall Street. We went to Harlem. We went to Spanish Harlem, and we would just go to these different neighborhoods and set up these things called prayer stations. And basically, it was a way to pray for people, and through that, to really share the gospel with people. And I remember we, uh, you know. We went to Brooklyn. We went to uh, Russian Jews, and they didn't like us being there, <laughs> and they yelled at us. Then we went to Wall Street, and uh, you know, in Wall Street, you know, everybody's on their lunch break, and they don't want to stop and talk to people, and they kind of just said, "Get out of the way! Why are you doing this? Stop bothering me!" But you know, there were some neighborhoods where people were so receptive to just evangelism on the street, and in places like in Harlem and Spanish Harlem. So we were in one of these neighborhoods, and. Uh, you know, I was just walking around, and I, I see this person at the corner of my eye, and uh, this person was actually uh, a transgender person. So it was a man who became uh, a woman, and I was looking at this person, and this person just kept, kind of kept like glancing at me, right? And I was like looking over, I was like, man, is this person like glancing at me because he hates me because I'm a Christian, or is this person glancing at me because uh, they they want to talk to me? So you know, I just said. You know, because I'm, I already have this mentality of evangelism, I'm like, well, I'm here to evangelize, so I'm going to go up to this person, and I'm going to talk to this person. So I talk to this person, and I go, you know, I ask them, right, do you need prayer? And this person uh, shares how, um, you know, I, th I think the proper way, the politically correct way to say is how she, right, used to be a man and decided to become a woman and then came to later regret that decision uh, because she ended up having multiple surgeries and couldn't really reverse it and become a man again. And uh, this person was just very confused, very broken, and felt very lost. And so she said, yeah, I, I do need a lot of prayer, right? I'm, I'm kind of at the end of my rope here. Now, I'm in college, right? And I didn't know that much. And I didn't know anything that I could say that would really help this person. But I just said this. I said, well... Uh, you know, Jesus loves you, and because of that, there's always hope, and there's always healing. And I prayed for this person, and afterwards, after I prayed, I remember looking at their face, and tears were just streaming down this person's face, and she thanked me. And, you know, I don't know what happened to this person afterwards, but I will say this. If I had not been in this mentality of evangelism, and if I had not been doing it all week, the truth of the matter is I probably would never have been open to this person, and I probably would have never gone up and talked to this person. And that would have been a lost moment or a lost opportunity to share the gospel and to share about Jesus Christ. And so I think maybe some of us, we really have to do some introspection and say, do we have we kind of set up these blockers uh, that hinder us from evangelism, that hinder us from approaching people, that hinder us from sharing the gospel. And maybe we have. And if it's something that we have done, something that we need to repent of, and something that we need to change, because God, I can tell you this with certainty, God loves his people, and he wants his people to know Christ. Now let me also say something that might sound a little bit harsh, and uh, I don't mean it to, but I just mean it to be somewhat of a challenge. You know, if we are just content in being in our own little lives and in our own little comfort zone, and we never seek to cross over towards other people, to love other people, and we just want to stay in our own network, in our own community, uh, 
maybe there is a big portion of the gospel that we're just not getting. Because the message of the gospel says this. God crossed over. God left his comfort zone in the person of Jesus Christ. God became human. God walked among us. God submitted himself to death, even death on a cross, so that we might know him, so that we might know this good news of a crucified Christ. And if we are not willing to cross over for others, then maybe we're missing something about the gospel. I think one of the patterns that you see in Scripture is when God calls somebody in, when God blesses somebody, he always sends them out. Happened with Abraham, and God blessed Abraham. Why? So he could be a blessing to the nations and to others. And if you are a Christian, and if you are somebody who has received the gospel, I think I can say this pretty confidently, but God's will is not for you to just stay where you are in your own comfort zone, but I think he is pushing you out to bless others and to be a conduit for his good news. And that's why we need to make evangelism a habit. Because I suspect, and of course, even though I'm a pastor, there are many times where it's uncomfortable for myself as well, and it's not natural for me as well. And I'm sure I've missed many, many opportunities to share the gospel as well. But if we want to be a blessing, if we want to be faithful to the mission of the church, uh, I do think we have to make this a habit, so much so that it actually becomes natural for us and it actually becomes organic for us because that is God's will um, for his church and for what he wants from us. Now, one of the reasons I'm giving this message is because uh, today we want to pray for Jamil. We want to pray for the Sadiq family. And if you don't know Jamil, uh, if you don't know his family, uh, they're amazing people. And they have gone through a lot of trials, and God has really been faithful to them. And as they're preparing to move to Indiana, uh, one of the things that uh, you know Jamil has is a great heart for evangelism. And I think if you just spend time with him, uh, if you just have lunch with him, you know, it's not uncommon for him to just spark a conversation with somebody uh, in the hopes of being able to share the gospel and to evangelize. And uh, one of the things I uh, want to impress upon us is also this. Not only do we need the habit of evangelism, but more importantly, we need to recognize the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's where prayer comes in. And that's why we need to be a church of prayer. And that's why we also need to pray for our brother Jamil. And so as I close this message, um, you know, I, what I want to do is I'm going to invite Jamil and his family to come up. And uh, why don't we spend some time praying for him. And uh, Bill Young, who's also been a supporter of Jamil uh, and instrumental in his life as well from YWAM, is going to come up and he's going to pray for Jamil. So uh, why don't you come up? Maybe you could stand over here.